Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, all right, all right. We will do better today. I, we're gonna we're two verses. Are you kidding me? We only I I must have got I I must have got a little preachy last week. So. Anyways, this week we're gonna we're gonna roll we're gonna roll through the rest of chapter eight. I I predict I can't promise because because both Bob and I know there's a, there's always a chance that that doesn't happen. So here we go, verse three. The water receded steadily from the earth at the end of a of the hundred and fifty days. In the the water had gone down. So last time, if you remember, the Spirit of God, literally God, Holy Spirit, actively starts draining the water. Now, how did that happen? This is this is the fun part, right? This is the part where you can you could turn this into a place of division, or you could just use your imagination and let it go. The because the bottom line is the water receded. That's what we go with. How that happened is up for opportunities for discussion. Now, I, for me, I believe that that he made the valleys lower and the mountains higher. That, to me, talks about receding water, water that rushes out. Now, some people believe that uh, the weight of the water shifted the axis of the earth, causing the polar caps to form, and a lot of the water became frozen on the ends and there is a lot of water on the ends of this earth and i know that that you know many environmentalists are very worried that if the polar caps all melt which you know <laughs> some people uh truly see this coming you know the water levels are going to become incredibly high and we're going to lose some some believe entire countries will disappear especially like along the central american area like those they're just going to disappear and go underwater and the earth will be flooded again at some level but i i don't i don't i don't know i don't know i'm not even going to pretend but i'm just saying some people believe that's when the polar caps were formed that's why at the underneath the polar caps they find uh evidence of like tropical plants and and animals because when the earth was straight up and down on its axis the temperature of the earth was was uh, what do they call it? Median. It was it was basically consistent around the Earth. You didn't have uh, the the equator being the warmest uh, thing, and then um, the warmest area, and then it radiating out from there, cooler and cooler until you get to the polar caps where it you know forms ice. So I don't know. I don't know if the Lord tilted the axis and caused the water to freeze if he pushed up the mountains and pulled down the the oceans so that the water would all run out uh but maybe he did both um evolutionists would say the earth changed because of the cooling of the planet after creation and as water uh hit hit the uh what was at one point a very hot planet it it changed things it shifted things there was environmental impact uh, from from uh, meteors and asteroids and uh, gravity and the sun like there's all these other uh, elements that impacted 
the earth and that's what they find evidence of this is what this is what i think i think when you come to the evidence that is presented you are left with what you are comfortable with and for me i'm personally comfortable with the idea of water running out quickly i think that's what i that's what i see when like i'm at the grand canyon and you just see layer upon layer upon layer of sediment and the idea of fossils being formed they they need you know pressure lack of oxygen and pressure anytime an animal dies potentially it could be a fossil if you buried it under a lot of pressure right away and gave it uh you know opportunity to to sit there for a long period of time and then you unburied it you'd have a fossil uh it's tough to make a fossil uh by a glacier because glaciers tend to move very slowly i think they're like a foot and a half a year like it's tough to get run over by a gl glacier and have your have enough pressure for a longer long enough period of time because you would you would rot and be eaten by other predators and other uh meat eaters uh and scavengers before you had a chance to actually form a fossil that's that's generally speaking i know i don't mean to belittle the science i'm just for me the water rushing out quickly uh explains where a lot of these fossils are found in layers of dirt and and sediment that just seems out of place out of rhythm uh for a glacier to come by but again i could be wrong and it's fine i'm not going to die in the cell with you like you can you can present with me to me all your evidence and i'll be like awesome awesome you go with it whatever happened the waters went down the water water went down that's where that's where we got to land god came in and and made the waters he used his character his goodness his hope to say yes we can start over and and i can i can restore this earth with with the family that i that was that took the invitation to be saved he didn't say i can re, i can start over because that in and of itself would would at some level be saying i screwed that one up my plan didn't work uh i need to rethink things no he's like no my plan is right my goodness is right this is fine it's a you know, I understand what happened, and I'm not going to take away. This is what's also about God re restarting with Noah. He doesn't take away the opportunity for mankind to go the same direction again. That possibility is still there, and we'll see that mankind, in various pockets, still takes that that road. They still make those choices of fear and pride and arrogance and and selfishness. That still is a part of our of our world today even even after jesus it's still a part of our of our world today so god doesn't start over and and change the rules so that man can't make these decisions again he doesn't start over by saying all right i'm just going to move noah and his family to another planet and we'll just pretend this never happened he's like he's filled with hope and possibilities and he says nope I I can see this happening. I can see this how this is going to be what a comeback. A comeback story of the ages. Could be. Could be. God is awesome. 
God is awesome the way that he's so filled with, with hope. And he had to be laughing, laughing at the way that the, that, uh, you know, the way that this could go, that this could be an amazing comeback. So he, uh, you know, he, he drains the earth. The water receded steadily from the earth. That's why I think for me, it just makes sense that, that everything was draining steady from the earth, not evaporating into the universe. At the end of 150 days, the water was gone. That doesn't mean that everything, uh, you know, uh, was ready to walk. It wasn't necessarily dry land yet, but the waters were gone. And and uh, on the seventh day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ariat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark. So, here we go. It comes to rest. That had to be strange, right? You've spent 150 days. Or no, is that right? 150 days, yeah. Floating around. Waiting for the waters to recede. Just waiting. Just wait. Things you, you what, what are you doing? Nothing. Same thing every day. And then, I don't know if you've ever ever been in any sort of boat. When it hits something, it sounds, it sounds horrible. There is something so dramatic when a boat runs aground. It is. It it had to freak them out inside because you're. It's not like it was necessarily propelled somewhere, but with water receding, there had to be some movement to their boat, to their barge. It was, it was at least moving in some direction, and it comes to rest on the mountain. So it had to feel strange to suddenly not be floating. And by suddenly, I mean, I think it, was, it made a sound. And it probably, uh, usually it rock, you know, a boat would rock a little bit. I know this was a big rectangle, so it wasn't like it had, uh, a, you know, ballast in a, in a middle point or anything like that. But, but I'm sure that there was some weirdness to it. It wasn't like it landed level and it was just going to sit still like, like, uh, caught on a shelf. It hit the side of a mountain. So it bumps against the mountain and then it doesn't move. And then as the water recedes, it starts to tilt. And if you've ever been in a boat and it starts to tilt, you immediately start to think you're taking on water. This is bad. So I have a feeling they kept checking. No, we're not. No, it, there doesn't seem to be a leak. Everything seems to be fine. The lower levels are fine. Well, what's going on? I don't know. We, we're, we don't seem to be moving, but we do seem to be sinking. This, is, this had to be a little freaky to be in a boat. You're like you're the only survivors. As far as you know, you're the only survivors in the universe. And your boat's tilting and not moving. I don't know. I'd freak out. Clearly, I'm, I'm freaking out already. One year of floating around and now you got nothing. No exterior sounds. There's no rain. I, would, I think they probably heard the wind. I just think, I just, I think good things about God. So I think God probably let them know they weren't alone. I don't think God ever stops talking, so I have a feeling that 
He and Noah had multiple conversations, as did Noah's family. I'm sure that they worshiped God and talked to God and prayed to God, and he talked to them. And as they processed the whole idea of survival and what it was going to be like when they got out, I'm sure he brought them comfort and hope and joy. But it still hurt to know that they were the only ones that made it out alive, the only ones that took the invitation. So it says, after a little while, the mountaintops became you know, revealed, became visible. So somebody had to be looking. I don't think I don't think that the window to the ark stayed closed until he opened it and put the raven out in the next verse. I, I think he I'd look out, wouldn't you? There's nothing that says they didn't. There's no nuances in the language that says that you know it was it was un untouchable. Sometimes some people, you know, believe that the, the you know the gap between the rooftop and the living quarters, you know, for for uh, ventilation, like maybe they they put up a ladder, they they can kind of look out and see nothing. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's you know I've been on I've been on a couple cruises in my life. Uh, there is something something attractive about sitting and looking out over the vastness of the ocean. There's something unbelievably, you know, peaceful and hopeful about it because you don't know you might see something i don't know it's it's fascinating to me but the mountaintops became visible uh some point of reference was there i don't know if they could really see the mountain that they ran into yet like sometimes when you're on something and you're in a boat like that big you can't necessarily it wasn't like they were out on the deck looking over the edge of the boat but they probably figured they had run into an, a mountain. They didn't know where they were. Nothing, none of the mountaintops looked familiar. Everything had vastly changed. There was probably a, a great feeling of relief, like, yes, the waters are going down. Yes, there is land underneath here. No, we don't have to live in the boat for the rest of our lives. We don't have to restart, you know, civilization as we used to know it we don't have to restart it here in the boat like we can wait we will get out we're going to make it out alive but what does it look like what what have we lost where where are we how far did we travel now i know people have broken all this down and you are more than welcome to look this up i didn't think it was something that i wanted to go into here in the epic narrative but you can look up people though you know they they believe that they found noah's ark uh, you know, somewhere there in Turkey, so they know where he built it and how far he traveled and and why he traveled that direction. There are people that have figured out uh, how much water had fallen, how much weight had landed. I mean, it's the numbers are staggering and fun for people who love numbers. This is great. For me, I look at them and I'm overwhelmed, I, not in a bad way, but just with awe. It, it's aweness that I look at this story and think, wow, what an impact on, on, a, on a life. So there's some feeling of relief. There's some feeling of being lost. There's so many unknowns to think about. I have no doubt, you know, some were, some visionary people were like, well, the first thing we need to do when we get out of this, if we need to build, you know, uh, housing, we need to find wood. We need to, we need to put something together. Others are like, I'm not leaving the boat. Like, I think we should stay here. We have great coverage. 
Uh, as far as from the weather, we don't know what's out there. We don't we don't know how how far we are from where we you know where we used to live. We probably should stay right here, make this our land. And others are like, but clearly we're we're probably on a mountain. We need to find a valley. Like all of this has to be discussed. And and I trust me, there are a million more examples in my head. But I don't want to turn the epic narrative into possible conversations that Noah and his family had in the ark when they, uh, you know, when they were waiting for the waters to continue to recede. But there's a lot of them because there's so many unknowns to think about, so many unknowns to talk about, so many possibilities that you can find hope in. It had to be amazing. So the window, right? As I said, many believe that this was fresh air always uh, coming in from under the under the roof line. Uh, some believe that the window was like a skylight uh, or almost like a door on the on the top kind of side of the arc. Um, and they could have been able to, like, I think that they were probably able to look out of this window the whole time that they were there. They didn't have it open all the time. Maybe. Maybe they did. I don't know. Uh, I have no doubt that, <laughs> that if you go down to Tennessee and go to the, the Noah's Ark exhibit, I'm sure they know exactly what it looked like. Because you don't build, you know, a multi-million dollar example of Noah's Ark and not know exactly what the window looked like. But. For me, I like to think about the possibilities of all that it could look like. So after 40 days of waiting, Noah opens the window and he sends out a raven. And it flew back and forth and back and forth all over the earth until the waters had dried up enough for it to land. So basically the raven uh, didn't do much for Noah. But Noah figured if it didn't come back, it probably had found somewhere to go. So that was good. So then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because water was still there. So it returned to Noah and he reached out his hand, he took in the dove, he brought it back to himself, and he waited another week. And he sent the dove out again. And when the dove returned to him that evening, it had in its beak a fresh, freshly plucked olive branch, olive leaf. And no one knew that the waters had receded enough that there was that you know that there was access to the ground. And he waited seven more days. Now, why did the dove bring back a leaf? Because I believe the dove was was looking out, saying to itself, "All right, all right, let's uh, let's build a nest. I've got something fresh. Let's build a nest." So a week between everything, it it had to be kind of nutty in the in the in the ark. So much waiting, so much wondering, all this potential. Uh, all this uh, planning. I mean, they knew the water was going down. You know, why did Noah wait another week? Well, I'd, I'd send them out every day. I'd send them out. Every, I know me. I would send it out every day. I'm just, I'm just so, I, honestly, I, I, I drive myself crazy with how optimistic I am. 
it's insane. Honestly, sometimes I I drive myself insane with my optimism. I've, I've literally driven the wrong direction, knowing I'm driving in the wrong direction. I'm driving the wrong direction and somehow my optimism says, but you might get there if you had this, you might, you might still get there. I, I don't even know what I'm thinking. My heart is like so optimistic. Anyways, so I would probably have sent doves out every day. No waited seven days. That would drive me crazy if I was in the ark. What is, what is dad doing? What is dad doing? Why are we waiting? Man, I, I we've got so much work to do. We've, we've, we've got so much to build. We've, we've got to find, we don't even know where we are. We got to find a place to live. We got to, we got to plant stuff. Like we got all these seeds from all the, I mean, not just seeds that they stored, but I'm sure they saved everything that they had eaten. All the fruits and vegetables they have, they were like, we got it. We got to plant figs. We got to, we got to get some corn going. We've got the wheat. We got to get some wheat so we can make bread. All of this is going through their minds. And they're waiting. Another week, he sends out another dove. Seven more days. but And this time, this time it didn't return. Did not return. So the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, so he's 601 years old, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. So this is where a lot of people believe that there was like a thatched roof on the top of the ark, which are they are incredible at keeping rain out. I've been under them in various mission trips to, to different parts of the world, and I sit there amazed at how dry I think this is insane. How does this happen? All 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 these are are just you know woven together pieces of wood or, or you know or, or sticks like this is how how am i dry it's fascinating to me so a lot of people believe that it was kind of a thatched roof situation and he took the whole top off so everybody could see what was going on and they they i would imagine at that point they did walk around the top of it and they could see the land was dry underneath them they were on a mountaintop they felt the fresh breeze of the of I'm sure it was very cool water uh, 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 water cool water cool breeze because of all the water and the the damp ground that it was coming off of and remember this the the wind that is drying the earth is God so when they're standing there and they feel the wind blowing it is the spirit of God that they feel you want to talk about having a presence of God, being in the presence of God, getting filled with hope and joy. That's what the presence of God does. This is amazing what's going on. By the 27th day of the second month of the year, the earth was completely dry. So they had to know to stay in the ark until the until God said, get out. That had to be difficult. You know the earth is dry. You're looking around you like Every day, look, I, I know I could walk, I know, you know, I know I could walk there. Maybe you grab a, a leftover stick or, or I don't know, would they carry rock? Well, they might have had rocks. I don't know. They throw something down. It's like, no, look, it's sticking. He took the cover off the, off the, you know, off the, he took the roof off the ark. I imagine all the birds were like, see ya. Had to be amazing. 
They're, they're, this is this is crazy, crazy fun. In verse uh, 15, then God said to Noah, again, I don't think this is like the first time God's spoken to Noah since he said, build me an ark or get in the ark. I guess it would technically be the last time we saw that God spoke to Noah. I think they interacted all the time. They are they are able to feel the, the spirit of God blowing around them. So the voice of God could not have been that strange. God says to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. The door is open. This had to be dramatic, right? I would imagine the animals had started to wake up with the fresh breeze. They, they were starting to feel hungry. They were getting a little antsy. God says, come out of the ark. Yeah, we would love to. Who? Oh, every. I want everybody out. Bring out every living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move on the ground so they can multiply on the earth, be fruitful and increase on the, in the number of it. This is, this is an awesome thing. God's like, I, I, we, we are not starting over. We are renewing. We are renewing the original plan. We're going back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. This is what Genesis is all about. Genesis is all about remember where we come from. That's the that's the identity. That's the purpose. That's the destiny that God put into creation. He's like, let's go back. Let's be fruitful and multiply. The original command of creation. Because what you are is what I want replicated all over this planet. What you plant, I want to expand and push all over the planet. Go for it. I want to open the doors let everybody out. So the animals are running. I mean, it had to be, you know, it had to be crazy. Have you ever seen animals go like, like frisky crazy? I mean, I've, 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 again, I've watched recordings. I mean, I've, of course I've had dogs. Dogs get it all crazy when they get excited. They can't, you know, they, they can't wiggle hard enough. They're, you think they're going to throw their hips out, like their tails wagging. Some of, some of the bigger ones, with tails like they whip all the way around, they'll smack themselves. Oh man, they're they are precious things. But I've seen recordings of like cows that get excited after a long winter. They open it up, uh, and the cows go running out into a field. Or horses that have been kept in one corral for a while, and now they're going to be open, you know, opening up the the next pasture. So all the sweet grass is there, and they open up, and the the horses run and frolic and kick and jump. This is what I'm picturing. When the animals come out, they're running. Some are walking, a bunch of flying. They're crawling. They're looking at things. They're sniffing things. They're digging at, at things. They're doing what they do naturally. They're finding their, their location again. They're wandering around. Like the earth had shifted. Things had changed. I believe the mountains were higher. The valleys were lower. So temperatures were shifting. And they were looking for where they were comfortable. And they were going to start spreading out. Do I, do I think they ran to the edges of the earth? No. No, I don't. But they started to spread out. They were finding space. They were finding their space. And as they're looking and digging and shifting, the, you know, Noah and his family are coming out. It had to, you know, I'm sure some knelt down and, and felt the dirt. And some... You know, some probably just looked at the sky, uh, grounding themselves. There's some people that do that now. 
Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't know. It seems to work. Uh, a few times I've traveled where there is multiple time zone differences. When I get an opportunity, wherever it is we land, take my shoes off and stand in the grass anywhere. Just stand in the grass. Just, just reconnect to the vibrations of the place where you've landed. And I'm not saying that all my tiredness goes away, but it, it kind of, it not kind of, it does. It, it resets my internal clock. Uh, puts me in sync with what's around me. It's it's kind of cool. I, I think I think some of that's happening here. They start walking. I mean, would it, how far how far away do you walk from the ark on that first day? How far away do you think they went? Because I think that that's significant to think about. Just because I don't know how far I'd go. I mean, this is a pretty secure building. This is a pretty like legit. This is a wall. It's like a walled city at this point. It is strong. It is solid. It is, you know, you're protected. Uh, I don't know if I'd, I don't know. It, part of me thinks I would be like, let's turn this into a really nice place to live for all of us. We could, we can, each family could have its own, own floor. Huge apartment slash, you know, building to, to work out of. So there had to be something within them that said, we, we need to move out from here. We need to find another place to live. So they walked downhill, I would imagine, because downhill is the easiest. They were on top of a mountain. And they looked the, at this earth. This earth had to look new, fresh. There had to be some strange rocks and, and dirt, things they hadn't seen before, things that had been stirred up by the water, the, the rivers that they might have come up against had to look different, deeper, wider than before. It, the, the concept of discovering everything for the first time, at some level, that's what they were going through. And then the quietness. I mean, it was quiet on the ark. But they kind of knew that they were in a foreign place, right? They were in a strange place, the ark. To get back out on earth, to stand there with some of the new looks and the new smells and then realize, like, we're the only people here. Like, it's just us. It's kind of weird. I mean, the, the last earth that they left, you know, was filled with people they were evil and selfish and prideful and not a lot of fun to be around, but there was a lot of noise. They were marrying and divorcing and partying and building. There was there was stuff going on. Now there's nothing going on. At some point they had to look around and go, man, we are we are alone. We are freaking alone on this planet. So Noah comes out together with his sons and his wives and, and his sons' wives. All the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. And Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, 
I do know some, I do, I know some people look at this and they say, this is the requirement of God. God required a burn sacrifice. I don't see that. We've been over this before. I don't see anywhere where God says, I need sacrifices for you to prove to me that you love me and worship me. I don't see that in the story of Cain and Abel. I don't see that here. I don't see him instructing Adam and Eve on this is how you sacrifice animals. Though some some believe that they they did get that instruction when God sacrificed a couple animals to to make them clothing. I don't think so. I, I don't. I I just don't see it. There, to me, there would be more evidence of it somewhere along the line. I think that this is an expression that Noah felt he needed to do. Noah wanted to express to God his willingness to do whatever God wanted him to do. That this behavior of sacrificing animals is something that came from his observation of other uh, behaviors uh, that were there on the planet before he left or before he was rescued. That this is what you do when you worship God, you sacrifice to him. I don't, I don't, I mean, that's just, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that bothers some of you, but that's fine. You can write to me. But it, again, we don't know. Is this the same day? Is this many days later? Again, it's not something God asked for, but I do understand why he received it because it's a, it's basically a physical response from a very grateful heart. Many people build altars to God that God doesn't ask for. We do this all the time. Many people give sacrifices to God that God doesn't ask for. I mean, I, I know I know, <laughs> I know people that have you know sacrificed family, jobs. Uh, they've sacrificed money, and and who knows what else? I mean, just they've sacrificed all kinds of stuff, and they believe. That this is something God is happy about, but God didn't have to actually ever ask for it. Now, is He is He pleased by it? Yes, it says that the you know the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, said said in His heart, "Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all the living creatures uh, as I have done." Now, this is where uh, we got a lot going on in that verse, but let me just say, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in His heart. He smelled it. He appreciates the sacrifice. But please know, a lot of times, God isn't asking you to do that. God, God appreciates it. He sees the heart that it comes from, the grateful heart of Noah. And that's what he, that's what God is always after, right? He says so again in, later in the Old Testament. He's like, I don't need the sacrifices. I'm after your heart. I'm after your motive for what you're doing, not what you're doing. I don't, I don't get pleasure out of dead animals or, and blood spilling all, all over the ground. I don't. But if you're going to do it and you have the, the your heart is right, yes, I will be uh, like I'm pleased. Uh, but God says that all the time. He knows that if that out of love people sacrifice. Love naturally sacrifices. And sometimes you want to physically do something. Uh, people even talk sometimes of like about sacrifice of praise, where they, where they, they don't feel like worshiping God and praising Him, but they will. They sacrifice the praise and they 
They feel the shift within them through their behavior. But God looks at the heart and says, I, you know, I receive that. I know what love's doing here. So anyways, uh, you st if you start with love, then what you're doing matters. If you start, if you just start doing, <laughs> then that's where, that's where you get into religion. I'm just, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast for 40 days. Why? Cause I, cause I want God to do something for me. I want to move the heart of God. I want, it's like, well, your motive, your motive is selfish. Your motive is I need something from God. I'm going to make him do it. Be careful. Just be careful of your heart. Noah builds an altar out of gratefulness and out of worship. God receives it. And then he says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Uh, as long as, uh, yeah, anyways, even though every inclination of the heart is evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all the living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. So here God makes a promise, makes a covenant. He says, I won't let this happen again. Now, most it's easy to look at that verse and say, see, clearly God did this or he couldn't have made this promise. See, Bob, if this was all about the evil one, if he, if he was the one doing all this, then why did God make this promise? He couldn't have made this promise. Well, I need it. I, I know, I know. It is easy to look at it and think that. But this is what I believe. Uh, because, again, of who God is in the beginning and who God is at creation and who God is through Jesus, I look at this and say, okay, he can't be the one who destroyed everybody. He can't be the one who kills everyone because God doesn't do that in the beginning and God doesn't do that in Jesus and God doesn't do that with his spirit. So... God doesn't kill. So what's going on here? I believe what God says is, I'm going to set up a defensive system to keep the enemy from ever being able to destroy the earth again with a flood. I'm going to set up a defensive system where, where total destruction of the earth cannot happen again. That's what I'm going to do. My response to your heart of sacrifice, to your love and obedience. Uh, obedience is a strong word. To your love and response to my, to my invitation for rescue. I'm going to bless this earth by developing a defensive system that will keep this from ever happening again. That's what I see. You can say, Bob, you're doing you're doing gymnastics to get through this. You you. My goodness, you're bending over backwards to make God good when you know he kills everybody. And I would say, yes. <laughs> if that's what you think, that's I, I yes. I will do the the necessary yoga and gymnastics to change the way people perceive God in this verse. Because I don't see God that way in the beginning. And I don't see God that way at the end. And I don't see God that way in the middle. I don't think he kills. I see him as a defender of the innocent. And God says, I won't, I, I'm, I'm going to set up, I'm going to set up some defenses. My response to what happened here, to my creation, my, my response to the way that you showed love and, and interaction with me during 
you know, during this rescue operation is I'm going to make sure that the whole earth won't go through this again. And that's what I think what happened here in verse 22. Now, this we covered a lot of ground. We did. <laughs> we did. Bob's like, hey, you just covered the rest of the chapter. I know. I, I should have made that promise at the beginning, right? I would have fulfilled my promise. I knew it was possible. I knew it was possible. And we did. We finished up the rest of the chapter. So congratulations to us, Bob. Well done. But there's a lot here in this story. And I know entire books have been written about the flood and and long, long series of messages from highly intelligent, actually entire ministries have been built around the flood and creation. And I just hope that as we've looked at it, at some level, you've you've thought, all right, I maybe I I will consider a different way of looking at it. Maybe God is good. Maybe he is that good. And some of you might be sitting there going, wow, that's a God who I can believe in. Like I was always taught that God was the big evil guy who destroyed the earth because they were they were prideful. And and a lot of you know, a lot of preachers will get real specific, you know, with whatever it was that was going wrong on the earth at that time. And they'll say, if we ever do that again, if there's ever, you know, gay marriage, if there's ever multiple marriages, if there's ever uh, you know, uh, so much gambling or so much uh, lying and cheating, if there's ever uh, demonic worship, if there's ever new age belief, like whatever, they go after this. They're like, they they use the threat of God destroying the earth as an opportunity to manipulate behavior. Maybe through this this story of, on the epic narrative, maybe you're able to step back and say, all right, let me consider a different filter. Let me see it in a different manner. Because I, honestly, I, I love God and I love the word. And I just think people really have twisted who he is and what he does. Anyways, that's enough about that because I'm sure it'll come up again. It's a passion of mine. Have yourself a great day, everyone. I'll see you next time on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, that was fun getting out of the ark. I, 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 uh, I am curious. Like, what, what an amazing concept to walk out onto this fresh, clean, clear, crisp planet. Everything's washed, right? Everything's clean. Everything's, <clears throat> everything's wide open, and there's nobody around. No one but your family. No one else can be found anywhere. And there's animals, of course, frolicking all around you, but they're also spreading themselves out. They're finding new places to go. And in my head, I'm curious, like, what is your go-to survival? What's the first thing that you start looking for? I, I watched that uh, that show, at least a few seasons of it, called Alone. I think it was on the History Channel. I didn't watch it on the History Channel. I watched it on some other app that I that was carrying it for a while. <coughs> Excuse me. And I remember so many times, you know, my, my heart just being like, okay, what would be the first thing I'd do? Because these guys are dropped, men and women are dropped alone. They're given, uh, I think, five square miles on some unbelievably remote area. 
usually extreme weather of some sort, you know, like a northern rainforest in British Columbia or the Arctic, uh, you know, and they have to survive. They're all by themselves. They have like a backpack and a, and a few uh, luxury items. A fascinating, fascinating show. But I, I don't think Noah and his family came out of the ark into that kind of extreme uh, circumstances, but they were on top of a mountain, I think, uh, my, my belief. And in doing so, I'm sure that they were, they were kind of left with, okay, now what? So I, going back to the show, like there, were, there, there are people who their first thing is shelter. Other people's first thing is water. Uh, uh, some people are looking for um, some, some sense of safety and and or shelter like there's there's uh there's different ways to go about it but but that's where i think i would i'd have a tough time walking away from the ark it's this massive amazing fortress and i've been living in it for a year so everything i need is there i i know how to get around i uh so i kind of think they hang out around the ark for a while and maybe the weather shifts. Maybe, maybe they they start to explore further and further each day, and then and then eventually, you know, one clan, uh, husband and wife, they're like, you know what, we're we're gonna head south. We're or we're gonna head, you know, down the into the valley. We're gonna look for something along that line. And then what again? What's what's your go to? What do you, what's your survival mode? What do you what do you? Uh, huh. How do you how do you start new on a planet that's fresh like that? These are the things that rattle around in my head. And the other the other part that I'd be curious about is what is your conversations with God like? What what are you looking for from him? Because I think at at one one level, right? You're grateful to be alive. There's something about survival that makes you incredibly grateful. But then there's also something about survival that makes some people feel very guilty. What do they call it? Survival remorse. Why was I saved and not everyone else? I mean, literally not everyone else. That's got, that's got to mess, not mess with you, but that's, that's a part of your dynamic at this point if you've just come off the ark. You're sitting there, Every day, thinking this is awesome. I'm here with my spouse, someone I love. We're starting brand new. There's no evil in the world. We have fresh, clean everything. But now what? It's just us. And we get to start fresh and clean. But that means we don't have anything that we used to have. I I don't know. It's... What, what do you what do you say to God at that point? Thanks, but but I don't like it. And then and then you feel guilty because now you're not grateful, right? You could have been left behind, but no. <clears throat> you know now now if you're oh man, I, I just think I just think a lot of the psychology of it uh, makes me makes me wonder. And again, I'm no psychology psychi- psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm just a preacher who's done a lot of counseling and relationally I've interacted with a lot of people going through a lot of different things and in doing so, I would imagine that there would be a lot of questions that people would have. 
and a lot of uh, interactions internally and externally that would make them wonder, how am I going to survive? And how do we go on? And, and clearly, as, as you know, we'll find out, but they, they start making babies and start growing things and building things and families start expanding and, and time marches on. But for those who walked out of that ark, there's, there's got to be, there's got to be something internally that is always a part of them that says, I was, I survived. And, and also as part of them, the thought, none of my friends did. None of my coworkers did. And why? I, I would imagine, you know, you're raising your kids and grandkids and they're looking at you going, wow, you survived the, the flood. Tell us about the flood. Tell us about the flood. And I'm guessing some people love to talk about it. And there probably were a few that were like, no, no, I don't like talking about that. You know, it's almost like a PTSD type of thing from the war. You know, there were some guys that, that would tell you story after story, just regale you with, with uh, these these you know amazing uh, antidotes and and real life history that they had been through, and then there were others who would just not want to talk about it. And if you didn't know they were in the battles, no one else would know, and they wouldn't. You know, they weren't about to tell you. Anyway, I uh, <clears throat> those are my thoughts today. They're just kind of kind of scattered, kind of rolling around all this survival mindset. And, and how you, you know, I, I, I would ask you, like, how would you do it? Like, spend some time just, just kind of kicking that around. What would that be like for you and your spouse to walk out of the ark on a fresh start? And I know a lot of, a lot of preachers like to, like to, you know, emphasize that. But the reality is it's also got to be scary and sad and, uh, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Too many thoughts. All right. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Uh, enjoy your imagination, and uh, let's uh, meet again next week on the Epic Day, everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.